This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome, one and all, to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you on uh, early this week. We're recording this on Tuesday night, November 24th. Gentlemen, do you know what number show this is? Uh, 250. 250. Can you believe we've done 250 shows together? Well, we, I mean, we haven't done them all. Like, Murphy kind of parachuted in a little bit late. Yeah. To but, be fair, I've only done like 160. But, 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 Elo, you and me, man, for the most part, 250 wow. shows. We haven't killed each other yet. How great is that? I know. That's the shocking development. Good thing there. we don't do that's, this in person. Good point. That's the <laughs> technology may have saved us all, ladies and gentlemen, foreshadowed there. That's the longest running episodic podcast ucf podcast out there ladies and gentlemen right. by the way we are the longest running yes the longest running <laughs> ucf podcast we can say that now it's great i love it um lots to talk about today even though first of all happy thanksgiving to everybody hope you're the first to hope we are the first to wish you that hope you all are staying safe um we got lots to talk about on your uh, uh, on this pre-thanksgiving show uh, obviously, UCF and uh, USF on Friday, Black Friday down in Tampa. We'll be previewing that. Some news about that game that uh, we'll get to from uh, coming from the mouth of one Dylan Gabriel, uh, which we will go over in just a second. A little bit later, we will preview real quick our uh, sort of our quick and dirty men's basketball preview uh, with uh, uh, UCF starting out this uh, tough weekend, really, with... Um, uh, Oklahoma and Auburn Saturday and then Monday to open the season. And of course, Wednesday night, women's basketball gets underway uh, with a game against Virginia. We'll be previewing them as well. So uh, lots to get to. So let's uh, let's start. But before we dive into football, uh, just a reminder, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are UCF's home on the SB Nation Network. You can also follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret and at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Banneret, where uh, you can find all the latest on UCF sports. So let's begin. UCF coming off of the loss to Cincinnati in a, in what was a very close game. Um, I I would kind of call this a coin flip, but I mean let, let's let's you know let's tip our caps to Cincinnati. I thought that they were clearly the better team. Um, they're undefeated. They are number seven in the BCS or BCS in the in the college football playoff rankings the first ones which came out uh earlier today uh nonetheless um it, it, given it, even given all that you know you know like i said it's you know it's credit to them they got the job done uh in uh in pretty dramatic fashion with it with that rushing performance uh in the second half where they, they were held to what was it murph six yards rushing in the first half and then they racked up i think uh almost 150 plus in the in the second half is that right Something around those, yeah, something around that uh, that number, yes. Yeah, I mean they were fantastic, and uh, I mean you got to give them credit. So, but all these people saying, "Oh, the season's over." Actually, no, the season's not over because there's one more game left to play, and that's against the South Florida Bulls in Tampa. Um, USF comes in, well, pretty doggone bad. <laughs> there, it's a uh, this uh, the line for this game started at uh, opened up at twenty five. And has not moved. <laughs> um, the uh, it, it's been a struggle for U, uh, for USF this year. With um, you know, in Jeff Scott's first year, um, 
They are coming off a uh, 56-21 drubbing at the hands of Houston. Uh, they had a week off prior to this game. Um, it's just it's just been bad. It's uh, now that's that's not to say that they're not going to show up for this game, but um, well, actually, come to think of it, <laughs> they they're they may be running into some uh, personnel problems heading into this game. So Murph. There's been a little bit of grumblings about will we be will we even be able to get this game off on Friday? What's the latest from your perspective? Yeah, it's one of the uh, you know there's not much there's not much intrigue surrounding the actual matchup. Really, one of the interesting questions of this game is will it actually be played? And you know if you're if you're familiar with USF, they didn't play last week. It's because they couldn't. They literally did not have enough bodies to play against Navy. So that game got postponed last Wednesday, the 17th. Uh, and it, it's been it's been tough. I, I know I was reading around some articles, and uh, you know USF was practicing last week, guys, with 64 play. I I, I won't even say players. They were practicing with 64 people. Right. Meaning, if you if you include the scholarship players plus walk-ons plus grad assistant managers plus players who aren't eligible because they haven't given their uh, waiver from transferring yet. Plus a couple they, kids brought over from a local high school. <laughs> Plus, no, that's not for real. But I'm just, just I'm joking. But anyway, like no, it's yeah. But like everyone else, like they're basically just pulling bodies onto the field just so they can hold a, a full practice. Like they've got uh, team managers suiting up in full pads to uh, run scout team. Uh, they have two scholarship corners who are available. Uh, they've they're suffering. It, it, you know, it's obviously a lot of, of COVID problems, obviously, with guys quarantining for weeks at a time, but also just a ton of injuries. We have opt-outs, and, and now you've got a big transfer, a big transfer this morning, or a huge piece of news that dropped this morning from head coach Jeff Scott that their leading running back, Johnny Ford, transferring out of the program. Uh, wow. And that was, and he did not, he did not address questions. He just started his press conference on Tuesday with that note, with that nugget. And so he's gone and he, you know, those who have watched USF for the last couple of years know how dynamic Johnny Ford was. Like he, he gave you some hope because he was like an Adrian Killens type player. It was a, a big play waiting to happen. And now he's gone. Uh, but you know, I, I've heard from, from people I've talked to who, who are, you know, well-versed in the program at USF that I think early in the week, there was a lot of skepticism over whether or not this game would be played. And then today, talking to them, there it seems to be a little more optimistic that it's gone from probably not to a definitely maybe. Uh, and so I think for us, we will know whether or not this game will be played uh, by tomorrow afternoon. I should say by Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I, I, I pointed out for a couple reasons. One, the, the Friday date you know, really gives you a very compacted time schedule. Uh, so the sooner you know, the better. Uh, two, Wednesday was the day we found out the Navy game would be postponed. Uh, and th that's because on Wednesday, you get if you, uh, college football in the AAC, you have three you have, uh, players take three tests per week. You have a test, uh, a, a virus test on, on Monday, a virus test on Wednesday, and another test on Friday, uh, uh, which I assume would be moved up to Thursday this week. But, that, but uh, Wednesday is a very important day because the, that's the day that the Monday test results come back. So they'll be able to see who is clear and who is not clear yet. And by that point, they should have a decent idea of just the simple question. Do we have enough players to actually play in this game? The American does not have a, uh, a, a, a minimum number of players that need to be eligible to play. 
Uh, they kind of take it on a case-by-case basis with each program. But USF, like Temple a couple weeks ago, USF is sort of riding that border of they may not have enough players on one of their defensive or offensive lines. They may not have enough defensive backs to, to play in a game, so we'll see. Um, but I do know that they've been a, there's been a little more positivity, at least from what they've heard down there today. Uh, but I think we will know by Wednesday afternoon whether or not this game will be played. wonder if you could inject them with true serum if they actually want to play this game because they've lost seven in a row since their opening win uh, against the Citadel, which is their only win. Um, they were shut out by Notre Dame, 52 nothing. They've given up uh, no fewer than 28 points in uh, in each of their games uh, so far this year. Uh, and now in comes UCF with a number two ranked offense. USF's offense has struggled all year. They're 109th in the country in total offense. Defense not that much better, 76th. Um, it's it's just been a struggle at this point. But uh, but there, but you know one of the things that that you know it's obviously it's a rivalry game. But there's there's a little bit of news here that we want to uh, that we want to kind of you know address and. And you know, again, we're recording this on Wednesday. We don't know what's going to happen for the game, but Actually, we're recording Tuesday night. Well, oh, we're recording Tuesday. That's right. Normally we record Wednesday. We're recording. Tuesday. Thank <laughs> you. See, creature of habit. Two hundred and fifty shows. That's what happens. But um, Dylan Gabriel spoke to the media, Eric Lopez, and uh, and here's what uh, he was uh, and he was asked about the possibility of Mackenzie Milton. Uh, and here's what Dylan had to say about it. I was a fan. I wanted to be a surprise, you know. So I can't. I can't say yes. I can't say no. Is we'll just see. You know, we'll see what happens. But I know Kenzie um, is doing great mentally and physically, and he's he's ready to do so whenever you know he's he's ready to do so. So um, I'm I'm gonna let that just be it and and see what happens. So well, 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 Eric Lopez. What do we make of that? It means we got some excitement and some intrigue in this game, is what that means. Good, though. thank goodness, because there wouldn't be much else. There wouldn't be much excitement or intrigue around it anyway if it wasn't now, for that. Yeah. Now I will say I'm going to brag here a second. Before the season started, and I think I did it on this podcast, and I did it on a, on, a, on another podcast where they asked me about Mackenzie Milton and when he would, if he would play, would he not? And I kind of predicted the South Florida game that that would be. The two-year anniversary of the, you know, going back to the scene, uh, it's very cinematic type of deal. Like I'm, I'm telling you, if he plays this game, Murph, I don't know who who would direct the movie, who would play Mackenzie Milton. That might be a future article you're gonna have to work in if Mackenzie plays in this game. <laughs> but that we'll, we'll put that onto a side. But to me now, that has become a bigger story than the actual game. Scott Van Pelt talked about it on his show. Uh, Andrea Adelson of ESPN.com wrote a lengthy article, Merv, about Milton. It sound, there's a lot of smoke here about Mackenzie Milton. Now, you were in that uh, media availability. Uh, what was your reaction to the Gabriel comments? What did Josh Heupel have to say about it? And you, kind of your overall thoughts here. Well, it's always fun when you're, when you're on a Zoom call and something like this happens because you immediately see like eight pairs of ears automatically perk up. Like, what, what, what's it again now? Like, what? Who? Uh, because, you know, like I think I've said before, like Dylan Gabriel is not usually a guy who drops a lot of bombs. He's usually a very nondescript talker when it comes to the media. Uh, very cliche, a lot of coach speak, a lot of boilerplate stuff. But this is like, wait, what's happening? 
and especially because he was not specifically asked. I have written about this uh, on the site. Uh, I wrote a, I wrote an article on Monday about will McKenzie play or not. That that opening question to Dylan was not was not phrased as do you think McKenzie will play in this game. It was phrased as you know has there been talk between you and him about what this game means to McKenzie really kind of returning to the scene where you know his career and his life changed and how significant this is. And Dylan just sort of like as you hear, Dylan just sort of goes off into this. Well, I'd like it to be a surprise, like a surprise. Like, what do you mean a surprise? Wait, right, like what? Uh, <laughs> surprise about what? <laughs> so that's what. That is what sort of like ignited everything on Monday. And so I couldn't let that die. I followed up a couple of minutes later, and I just said, you know, Dylan, uh, that was a very interesting answer you had about McKenzie there. And I, you know, I just wanted to ask, should fans be watching out for something? Uh, even though you don't want to give it away. And he just says, he interjects and goes, I would just be honest. There's a bunch of surprises. I would just sit back and see. I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying he isn't. I'm just saying, who knows? You know what I mean? So we'll see. It sounds like this guy knows something. And if you if you haven't watched the video, you can go on UCF Athletics' YouTube account and watch these pressers. While Dylan is speaking, he has this like huge grin on his face. I mean, it's literally the the worst poker face in the history of football media. Brighter than a Hawaii sunset, my man. <laughs> it really is. It's bright, uh, and so <laughs> it, it just leads you to believe that boy, there is definitely, like you said, there's definitely a lot of smoke here. So then, of course, Tuesday comes. We're scheduled to talk to Josh Heupel, and the question is asked because obviously it's asked just straight up. You know, is will McKenzie be available for this game? And Josh Heupel, no surprise, gives us no glimpse, no hints to anything. Just says that McKenzie Milton continues to get better and better every day, uh, but does not uh, head, you know, does not lean one way or the other about him playing in this game. He does say later on in his interview today on Tuesday that you know he he knows the McKenzie Milton story has yet to be completed. You know, the ending has yet to be written. But as far as this week goes, Josh Heupel was not willing to divulge anything. But just from Gil- Dylan Gabriel's, not only his words, but his facial expressions, uh, it leads you to believe that there's something here. There's definitely something here. It's going to be the most anticipated uh, pregame warm-ups that we've had all season, no doubt. Oh, you better believe there are going to be a number of binoculars and camera lenses trained on that UCF tunnel to see if uh, number 10 comes out in pads. Um I, well, like I said earlier, I, I thank goodness because it, the game itself, you know, at least from this perspective, for the reasons we've already talked about, looks like a on paper looks like a walkover at this point, or at least that it should be at Tampa. Um, did you hear, Jeff? Did you hear they were asked about UCF's offense? And I, I know we have a clip from Jeff Scott, but outside of the clip, he was asked, uh, you know, how concerned are you? with only having two scholarship cornerbacks <laughs> facing this UCF offense. And Jeff Scott just says, very. <laughs> <laughs> I I would be too if I were him. That's probably the most honest answer you could possibly ask from a head coach. Here's yeah. here's what uh, Odd Shark is saying right now, Eric. Uh, UCF is a 25-point favorite on the road, mind you. All right. 
Um, 98% of the money is on Are you the sure minus. It's a road game? Are you sure? <laughs> I would ar- some would argue that even when there have been fans in the building in the past, the last couple, uh, last time this this game was played, it was a pro UCF crowd. Well, it'll, it, well, in in the box score, it's going to count as a road game. Let's put it that way. Um, 98% of the money is on UCF minus the 25, and 91% of the money is on the over of 67. So, <laughs> I mean, Jeff Scott clearly has a very difficult task on his hands. Um, I don't envy him. And and we know we've seen this before where there are teams that with UCF, right, where you where you struggle at first and then things start to pick up once the once the coaching staff gets the personnel in that they want. But you know, it's just it's it's not even that they're they're entertaining bad. They're just listless out there, right? Well, I mean, guys, it's just it's been a rough year. I think Jeff, I think uh, Coach Scott said that they have a thousand and four problems this year. It's been really tough. <laughs> this has been a really trying year for that program, starting with you know the just you know the the the, the uh, inevitability of opting out, players opting out, which I know USF had a couple of handfuls of players opting out. Which is fine, but then they get mollywopped with COVID quarantines and injuries, mm-hmm. and then guys deciding not to play during the season, or like with Johnny Ford's case, transferring off the team. Uh, it's just they've let it's left the cupboard bare, absolutely bare. So it's just it's it's just awful circumstances. Um, yeah, you hate you really. Is- I mean. I know, I know. UCF fans will be like giggling because there's a rivalry game like this. And UCF, USF lose badly, but like honestly, I hate. I really, actually, do hate to see it. The, can, I, can I play? Can I be the actually the pessimistic here? Uh, you know, not panic button, but you, you, throw, you. Yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give up the belt that early, Eric. Go ahead, make your case. Let me just say this: uh, 2013. UCF had a much better team than South Florida. That was Willie Taggart. They had a bad year. I think they won like three games. It came down to the wire because UCF turned the ball over like three, four times. It was a sloppy game. And it's, you know, it's, it's just a rivalry game. This is a trophy game. Uh, and both of these coaches know that very well. You mentioned Jeff Scott. This is Jeff Scott. He knows all about rivalry games. His dad was an assistant at Florida State, part of the Florida-Florida State games. Was also part head coach at the South Carolina for the Clemson-South Carolina games. Jeff Scott, as he mentioned on Tuesday, yeah, this is, UCF presents a challenge, but a challenge means opportunity. UCF is uh, obviously very, very talented, has a very deep roster. Uh, I think they're uh, either number one or number two overall in the country in total offense. I know they're number one in the country in passing offense. Uh, their quarterback is an excellent player, uh, leading the country with over 3,000 yards passing. Uh, receiver Marlon Williams, currently number two in the country with over 1,000 yards receiving. And, uh, you know, defensively, uh, what you see is a lot of athleticism, great size, and really a lot of depth. I mean, they're, they're playing 10 or 11 D linemen uh, that all look like they could really be starters. Very disruptive on the defensive line. I think that's a big emphasis for our offense this week is we got to get the ball out and uh, not allow those uh, defensive linemen to, to get penetration. And uh, they also lead the country with uh, 20 turnovers on defense. Uh, so very impressive uh, what they've been able to do this year. And uh, no doubt a great challenge, but like I talk to our guys about all the time, uh, with great challenges come great opportunities. All right, so that was Jeff Scott 
the head coach there at South Florida. So while, look, I mean, UCF should win this game. Weird things happen in these rivalry games. Uh, you just never know. And UCF, look, for as much as we just dog South Florida, South Florida, you could argue, should have beaten Memphis. They outplayed Memphis at Memphis. Uh, they had a two-score lead. They got conservative in the fourth quarter, and they lost that game. Uh, very, you know, close, but they they hang with Memphis. So, you know, this is going to be their bowl game. They're going to be jacked up. They're going to look for this opportunity. Uh, and no one knows that better than Josh Heupel, because Josh Heupel, he's even said this is a trophy game. He's been a part of these rivalries. He knows this is the, the his players will be ready because they know that the other team's going to be ready. Guys are excited about this one. You know, this is uh, um, a lot of our guys have grown in, in uh, up in the state watching uh, watching this game, watching this rivalry. Um, a bunch of guys that have played in it a bunch. Uh, uh, end of the regular season means a bunch to our guys, and and uh, it's a trophy game. I said that uh, you know earlier, and and uh, important to us. They've been great. So there's Josh Heupel talking about it. So. You know, South Florida has a chance. That being said, that being said, pain is coming. And <laughs> I think there's a pain, a lot of pain here is going to come towards South Florida. And I'm going to tell you something. What's interesting, and I, I don't know if, Jeff, I think you've picked up on this. A lot of UCF fans still haven't let go and forgotten, and I surely have it, the 2007 game. Mm-hmm. South Florida just took it to us, 64-12. to 12. In Tampa. And I think fi- – in Tampa and just ran it up. And while UCF's dominated this rivalry recently, UCF hasn't had put up that kind of a score in a game. Like I said, these games have been semi-competitive. I mean, you could argue the last two years were blowouts, but they weren't like satisfactory blowouts. Certainly not two years ago, obviously. Nobody enjoyed that at all. I mean, with the Milton injury. And then last year, Murph, you and I were there. UCF dominated, but it was like a whatever game. It was a 34-7 to game. Yeah. I mean, heck, you and I, I think, watched... UCF basketball on the computer during the second half. That's how boring <laughs> <did>. that. <laughs> every, every, everyone did. Every, no one reveled in it. Everyone just wanted to move on as quickly as possible. Right. But I yeah. think what's. But I think what's interesting here. I think UCF fans want UCF to put in a big score. And I know UCF USF's depleted, but that 07 game, man. And remember, these were people. Jeff, you know this. They didn't want to play UCF. They kept them out of the Big East. There's still a lot of uh, 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 you know animosity about that, and I think people want to put up a big score. And, and I will say this about the Milton thing, whether he plays or doesn't play, I think this is also part of the motivation here within because for him to play, I think it's going to have to be in a blowout. Which we, we, do we all agree on that? Like if he plays, they're not going to put him in in the. Uh, they're not. I don't think they start him. Yeah, they're not going right to start on. him. I right. think he comes in and mop up duty in the fourth quarter. Do you agree with that, Murph? If he plays. Yeah, I just my whole thing is this with McKenzie. It you know, let's say let's say for some reason he suits up and then doesn't play for whatever reason. Just seeing him suit up is going to be monumental in full pads, sure. full uniform. It's going to be right, monumental. Right. And then if he plays one play, that is going to be the lead, like the lead or second story on on Sports Center that night. It's going to be a yeah. huge deal. Uh, and so people who are, people who are talking about series or you know how much will he play it doesn't matter if he even is eligible to play amazing if he gets on the field for one snap unbelievable if he if he gets on the field for one snap i've i've even if it's a kneel down i mean i've said this before you know that that's the story of the year in college football yep and but i think and and i think that's the motivation though that this team is play is going to play with here that's the whole thing to get to that point 
They need to take care of business. They have to take care of South Florida. They need to pound them and dominate them early to set that up. The last thing you want is this game to go four quarters, let's say. So I think there's a couple of motivations here. You know, the trophy thing, the rivalry, yes. But also, I think these players, especially the group the, the group of players that were there two years ago to see that unfortunate scene, want this to happen. And I that's why I yeah. think UCF's going to actually be – I'm not actually worried about them being not being motivated despite the fact that, you know, I, I think they're going to be ready to go and then some. Another little bit of motivation for you, by the way. The ser- the all-time series between these two schools is 6-5 to five in favor of USF. But, of course, you remember the first four were all won by uh, USF when these teams were not part of the same conference. So UCF since has been 5-2. and two, Chance to actually even up the all-time series for UCF in Tampa with the game, of course, next year being uh, scheduled for uh, Orlando. Um, TV, Eric, what are we thinking? It is ESPN, 3.30. And the other reason why I'm confident, by the way, that UCF will win and win comfortably, UCF's best broadcasting, folks. Roy Philpott and Kelly Stock. You know, you know what we need to do, Eric? I don't know if we could do this, but maybe you and I can do this. We need, we need to go back and maybe do a little media guide work here and see what UCF's record is with certain broadcast teams. Because I would argue that maybe Roy Philpott and Kelly Stoffer, they might be the winningest ESPN broadcast crew for UCF, I would say, probably. What they, do you don't, think? they don't lose. If they're doing the UCF game, it's a lock. It's a win. It is the opposite of Mark Jones. That is cool. <laughs> and I love Mark Jones. Poor Mark. You know, I'm, I was in the I, press I, box. I, I met Mark. He's the kindest guy in the world. And, uh, and But, like, we just can't catch a break with him. Mark, I'm sorry. I just, you know... It, we, and I mean, if I, I see I, you I, on a UCF I, game, I'm going to be like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Da- I'm, yeah, I'm out. I'm out on this one. He could be in trouble. We've lost two games this year with Mark there. Although he did, in fairness to him, he did call the Stanford win last year. But we're, That's we're, true. we're struggling. But he's no Roy Philpott or Kelly Stoffer, who are on a roll. They are on a streak. I mean, they've got bowl. UCF has won bowl game. They are the defending Gasparilla champions with Stoffer. I mean, this is an unstoppable group. Like, if mm-hmm. we get. Our goal next year to win the league, we got to make sure we get the we get Roy Philpot, Kelly Stoffer as many times doing UCF games. <laughs> I'm in favor of it. ESPN uh, three thirty on Black Friday, uh, UCF against uh, USF at Raymond James uh, Stadium, and as UCF tries to even up the all time series uh, at six and uh, retain the War on I four trophy. Uh, By so, way, the Cincinnati, the, the Cincinnati game Saturday did a 1.8 million. I'll write about this more next week. We have so much content this week. I decided to wait for next week to write the TV articles because I'll get the USF numbers next week. Uh, but 1.8 million, very strong numbers for the Cincinnati game. Uh, I don't know if USF, UCF will do that number, but it did a very strong number last week in a sim- in the same time slot. I wonder if it would do that at a certain point during the game for reasons we've just illuminated. So. Oh, that's true. So, you know, I'd love to know the quarter hourlies on that one. But anyway, all right, let's take a quick break. When we get back, it's time to talk some UCF basketball. Uh, The men's team tips off their season on Saturday against Oklahoma. We've got lots of sound from Johnny Dawkins and a couple of the players as we look forward to uh, what should be an interesting basketball season and one big name. Uh, who will be making their debut in black and gold on Saturday that we've been looking forward to. 
for a while. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the show. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you. It is basketball time. We're gonna, Listen, we're getting... Football on Friday, basketball, men's basketball on Saturday. Don't forget the women's game on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. UCF plays the University of Virginia. We'll preview the women's team in a little bit. But let's talk about the men's team because we had some news drop earlier uh, today. In fact, Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez. C.J. Walker, the highly touted transfer from Oregon, a former five-star recruit originally from Sanford. According to John Rothstein and later confirmed by UCF, has been declared eligible. He will be in uniform for UCF when they play Oklahoma. Of course, COVID pending, right? You never know. But, uh, uh, you know, just a couple of reminders. Six foot eight. Um, uh, he's, uh, as you wrote on the site, uh, 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 Brian, he's, uh, he, start, he got seven starts in 28 games and averaged just four points per game. But don't let those stats fool you. This dude is talented. And uh, as Coach Dawkins said, uh, he has huge upside, doesn't he, uh, Brian Murphy? Yeah, absolutely does. But as before we go to Dawkins talking about C.J. Walker, let's also say that I did not write the article that we have on C.J. Walker. That was Jeremy. Jeremy I'm Renner sorry, Jeremy. Article. Oh, my God. I'm so, I'm so used to you writing basketball stuff. And Jeremy, like, <laughs> took the baton from you this afternoon. That's right. And, Jeremy, and I'm sorry. <laughs> The news actually came out on Monday, not Tuesday. Boy, Jeff, this is a great week for you. What's happening? Dude, you know, I, I'm getting like, – well, listen. You know clearly, Jeff, Jeff is going through the Josh Heupel, Jeff Scott playbook of Monday's really Tuesday, Tuesday's really Wednesday. No, week. that's what, well, that's what happens when you have kids. But <laughs> the, so, so, yes, anyway, the news did drop this, this – let's call it this week. Uh, we also reported on it this week, so at least we're comfortable in that timeline. Um, but tell me about C.J. Walker. I mean, we, I, I, if you, by the way, I'll put it in the show notes. We did a show with Mike O'Donnell um, over the summer when uh, Walker announced that he was transferring to UCF, um, really breaking down his game, which was just a, uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to Mike about him. And, uh, and we're hoping to have Mike on again um, uh, sometime in the very, very near future to talk a little bit more oops with us. But um, what does this mean really for UCF to, to get him eligible? Because you, know, you just never know if the NCAA is going to come through on this kind of stuff. But they did, didn't they? Well, yeah, yeah. Finally, you know, you just don't know when these letter, letters are going to come in. And you've seen other programs across the country who've had guys, you know, ruled eligible. So UCF is just over there sort of just twiddling their thumbs waiting for the letter to drop. And <laughs> they got word on Monday that, yes, he is eligible and what does it mean? Well, I can leave that up to Johnny Dawkins and to the Knights players because we had opportunities to speak with Coach Dawkins and some UCF players about a number of topics. But obviously everyone wants to talk about C.J. Walker, the first five-star prospect in this program's history. So you're going to hear three voices here back to back to back, starting with Coach Dawkins, then Darren Green Jr. and Dre Fuller talking about C.J. Walker finally being eligible to play for the UCF Knights. We got the word yesterday that that he was cleared, that he got the waiver, and uh, he definitely will impact us because he gives us another player with versatility. He's very active, makes a lot of plays, you know, defensively. He can make plays offensively as well. Uh, so, uh, no, we're excited to have him. Darren, what can you say about C.J. Walker? Obviously, there's a lot, of, a lot of hype around him coming into this program, but what have you seen from him in practice? Um, that's probably one of the most athletic guys I play with. As far as, you know, going to get a lob and getting blocks. Um, 
you know, just he's and he's a he's a, he's a dog as well. He's everywhere, plays D. Um, you know, he can he can't do anything but help us. I can't wait to play with him. Um, the energy that he brings to the team is just amazing. Uh, he gets everybody hype, uh, everybody ready to go. Especially if he do a dunk or something or a block, we all like we're gonna run to him and dap him up. So we're very excited for him. There's Coach Dawkins and a couple of players talking about C.J. Walker. You hear Darren Green Jr. talking about his athleticism. And obviously, everyone knows what he brings, right? A lot of length, a lot of shot blocking ability, scoring, high flying ability, that athleticism, the ability to really, you know, he could turn into the guy uh, of when you need a bucket, who do you go to? And yeah. last year, certainly, it was Colin Smith. It, this year, it might be C.J. Walker. And then defensively on the perimeter, guys, with his length and his ability to guard four or five positions, when you put him and Dre Fuller maybe on the perimeter, those two are going to be nightmares for backcourts, for for you know a lot of two guards or maybe even some point guards, and for a lot of teams this year. So so not only does CJ bring a lot offensively, and everyone knows about that because they can they can watch his highlight reels, but defensively this team is really set up well. So let me ask you this, uh, Murph. Right now, um, matchups notwithstanding, because we know that. Coach Dawkins likes to uh, mix it up from time to time. Lord knows he did it enough last year um, for various reasons. But um, if you were in Coach Dawkins' shoes, what would be your starting five for this team heading into Oklahoma? I think there are there are, I think there are th- there are four guys here that are definite starters. I, certainly, Darius Perry, the transfer from Louisville, is certainly your point guard. Just the experience that he has. I, and I know they still like. They still like Tony Johnson Jr., but Darius Perry is your point guard. Your two guard is pro- is going to be Darren is going to be Darren Green Jr. Um, and and just just his shooting ability, you know. And obviously another year, he knows he can shoot, but he's also wanted to expand his offensive game this year. Be interesting to see how that plays out. And then at the three, four, five with CJ being eligible, you can really sort of move things around. But I think right now, to start, you might see some sort of lineup of Brandon Mahan at the three, CJ at the four, Sean Mobley at the five, kind of acting as a stretch five, a guy who doesn't need to be sitting in the paint. But to kind of double back on that, I would not be shocked at all if if Dre Fuller started at the three because he's a big-body guy who could actually play down there with some small forwards. And, you know, I I think one of the good things about CJ being – another good thing about CJ being eligible – is that it keeps Avery Diggs from being your starting five, which I know with 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 Avery, the offense has to change a little bit because he's sort of stationed in the paint. He can't really stretch that much. He's not he's not much of a good shooter from outside, you know, close range. But Sean Mobley gives you more flexibility at the five. So that lineup, the the Perry Green, uh, Mayhan Walker Mobley lineup, gives you a lot of flexibility. And then you can mix and match it with other players. It gives you certainly more depth. But I just like the way that those guys can sort of create mismatches at different spots. Interesting, though, because, you know, if that's the three that you're looking at, that's your front three would be 6'8", six, 6'8", eight, six, eight, six, That's pretty small, though, don't you think? I, I mean, Colin Smith was 6'10". I and mean, you've seen a lot of like, – look, look at what Houston has done, you know, these past few years. They have, not been a very, they have not been a very big team. Uh, but they have hustled. They have they have worked hard for boards. Rebounding is not all about size. I mean, UCF can certainly attest to that when 
they were getting absolutely they were getting absolutely dunked on by Memphis time and time again with Taco Fall, Chad Brown, Colin Smith. I mean, size doesn't matter. It's about positioning and it's about effort. And certainly CJ Walker is a guy who's gonna bring that effort. Uh, you know, and, and coaches talk about that. So I'm not concerned about the size. I think those guys have certainly CJ has the length to be certainly play taller than six eight that's not gonna be an issue yeah it's about can they be in the right spots can they be in good position and are they willing to fight you know and get dirty for those loose balls so eric when you're when you're looking at this roster and you're looking at these particular players who's you know aside from cj walker who are the players that you think especially among the newcomers i think that you're really looking forward to seeing the most well i i'm interested in in sean mobley because you know there is, but you talk about a guy that's gotten so much positivity feedback from players and coach Dawkins is Sean Mobley. We had Michael Donald. You mentioned that in her when we had Mike. He talked about Sean Mobley being a bit a, a guy, a glue guy, a chemistry guy, a guy that could do some things here. Uh, Murph, I know you got to talk to him uh, when he was made available through the media, but there's a lot of everybody seems to have high remarks about Sean Mobley and what he's going to bring to this team. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, it's it sort of seems like if you're looking for a one for one replacement for for Colin Smith, a lot of guys point to Sean Mobley, and so that's what that's something I asked uh, Sean Mobley uh, when we got to talk to him recently. So, you know, we we got to sort of uh, meet with him through Zoom as as one does and talk to him not only about you know him possibly how does he replace Colin Smith, but also his journey to UCF. Because, you know, he transferred here from BCU, no less. He played against UCF in the tournament, guys, two years ago. Right. And he transferred here. And then also uh, his thoughts on UCF's grueling non-conference schedule, which me and Eric broke down for the site last week. So here is Sean Mobley talking about those things, how he came to UCF, possibly replacing Colin Smith, and what he thinks about the Knights' early season gauntlet schedule. When you came to UCF, like, why did you come to UCF? You play, actually played against UCF in the NCAA tournament, right, at v- with VCU two years ago. So then what made your decision to sort of join UCF that following year? Um, well, there was a part of me that wanted to come home, but also the coaching staff really caught my eye. Um, just Coach Dawkins is a he's, – he's a relaxed dude, but at the same time, if, if you give him your all in 100%, then he gives you free range to kind of do what you, you want inside of the boundaries. Um, and then, um, I mean, it was just a conference upgrade as well. Um, moving into the American conference was big for me so I could play better competition. And uh, I mean, just the system overall that, that we run here, it fits my game better than, than VCU's that I feel like. Sean, obviously Colin Smith decided not to, you know, not to play this season with him, not being able to play this season, how much of replacing him do you think falls upon you and how do you think you can replace him? I mean, yeah, that was definitely, uh, I mean, a huge loss. Um, I don't think there's really a way to replace Colin, but, um, you know, he, he was always he was always dirty, taking charges, you know what I mean, um, banging down there with the other big guys. Um, but I will say that, that our three other bigs, you know, Avery, Moses, and Jamil, I think, I think that they're doing a fantastic job, you know, getting in shape, taking care of their bodies, um, putting in the work, extra shots. So I've been impressed with them. And uh, I think I think we can fill his void uh, pretty well. Sean, you guys start non-conference with a, a lot of tests, right? Oklahoma, Auburn, Florida State, Michigan. You look at those four. What do you think? Oh, I love it. I love it. 
I love it. I love it. I love it. I think I think a lot of people are are looking over us or underestimating us, and uh, I think that's why like some of these these extra teams are scheduling us because I think that they're gonna just be a quick easy win. But that's definitely not the case. Um, I'm the type of dude that loves competition. The dudes on the team love competition, um, and I mean it's just. It's a, it's a national setting too. It's it's all eyes on us. You know what I mean. So I love that. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I love that stuff. So there's Sean Mobley. I adore that last answer about the schedule. Just I love it. 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 It's it's so I, guys. I think he loves it. Uh, and, I think and, he does you know, too. Yeah. I think he yeah. loves it. And 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 just obviously that 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 uh, that, that little dig there about well they're scheduling us because they think they're going to beat us easily and that's not going to be the case like you know what uh as someone who who thrives on good sound bites like i think i'm gonna really enjoy sean mobley being a part of this program now (laughs) (laughs) oh my god now another new guy i'm excited to see is darius perry murphy you mentioned earlier you think he'll, he'll be the starting point guard you believe what does he bring to this team well he brings certainly leadership uh you know he's i think you know a senior and then defensively he does a lot of uh, that uh, he can he can be a, a shutdown guard so again guys it's going to be another team where i know this is shocking but uh ucf is going to basically depending on defense again and but you know obviously they don't they don't have a you know a, a guy like taco setting setting the tone but they're going to have a lot of different guys and darius is a part of that so but eric how do you think darius perry is going to fit in on this team I'm looking forward to it. I, I think he's going. I, that's the part with him and Darren. Uh, you know, Tony maybe coming off. You know, coming off the bench. I think they're going to get. I think an upgrade there in the backcourt play. Nothing against Azon last year, but Darius could score more, don't you think, Murph? I think he could score more from his position than than that Dazon, who sometimes was hesitant to even shoot the ball. Uh, I think defensively they'll be better in the perimeter. You something you brought up earlier too, and I'm glad you brought it up about Dre Fuller. When he was healthy, he was turning into a heck of a two-way player. I know Coach Dawkins has talked about that in the past. He's healthy now. He got injured, and we didn't see a lot of him at the end because he got hurt with a hip injury. He's healthier. And with him and C.J. Walker, I think they're definitely a better defensive team on paper right now than they were a year ago. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and what's interesting with, with Dre is that he is really not molded into his full form yet. I mean, you know, he's a redshirt sophomore you know what? What's good about what's good with what's good with Dre Fuller is that he is now healthy. Those who remember he missed uh, the stretch run of games due to a hip injury. He had to undergo surgery. Um, he's a, he's 100 ready to go. But offensively, we already know he's a really good perimeter defender. Arguably the team's best perimeter defender last season. They really missed him there when he was hurt. But offensively, there's a lot to work with here because he is uber athletic, very explosive. We already know he's. You know, but going into last season, it was looked like he was the team's best dunker. So he's got that kind of hops, that kind of spring. And now can he use athleticism to develop his shot more? Can he move out more? Is he going to be able to get, you know, uh, out toward the arc a little bit? That's something that we're going to have to watch, too, because, you know, there's I think there is something there. I think there's there is a lot that we haven't seen from Trey Fuller. And, 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 you know, it's just it's, it, the potential is there. So let, let's get down to brass tacks a little bit before, because I, I do want to eventually get to the schedule and, and the rest of the conference. We'll tap into the rest of the conference in a little bit. But, you know, last year this team finished 16-14, and 7-11 and 11 in the league. They were very inconsistent. Are we thinking that they could 
well, I mean, they're not going to play as many games, obviously. They're only going to play 24 instead of 30. But are we thinking that this team could have a higher win percentage this year just based on uh, on, the, on the kind of talent that you have on the roster? Because, you know, don't forget, you know, there's there are a bunch of guys who, um, you know, are not here anymore that, you know, obviously we're you know thankful for their contributions. But, you know, Cesar Dejas is gone. Like you mentioned, Dazon Ingram is gone. Uh, Frank Burtz is gone. Matt Milan is gone. Um, and unfortunately, Colin Smith is seeing his um, his career stopped at least uh, for the at least for the moment. We don't know we don't know if, what the reason, but you know we we covered it on an earlier podcast of this the situation with Colin where he just said I have to put my basketball career on hold for a second. But um, do you think this team could improve over last year's uh, mark, Brian? Yeah, and it it really it better. It's a better team. And, you know, don't forget that the main issue with last year's team was really just gelling so many new guys. They had nine new players from the 2019 team over the 2020 team that really had to come together. Now, certainly COVID has building team, chem- team chemistry difficult because, you know, you, you, weren't be, you weren't able to be around each other this summer. So, you know, they're, they're like young guys like, uh, like Jamil Reynolds or Isaiah Adams, the freshman. That's mm-hmm. difficult for them because they're, they're, they're in their first year in the program and they haven't been able to really get up to speed, you know, in the summer. But you really only have five new faces on this team. A couple of those guys, I believe, are walk-ons. Uh, you know, uh, Sean Mobley hasn't played for this team, but he was here all last season sitting out due to transfer rules. Mm-hmm. And then you bring in a, a, a lead guard like Darius Perry and a guy like C.J. Walker changes the entire complexion of your team. So, Certainly, it should be better than last year's team. There's no doubt. If, it, if it's the same, then that's a massive disappointment. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly Walker coming in. I mean, he he wasn't you know sitting out you know last year uh, with the team, but he's because he's a he's a no delay transfer. But go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, couldn't I make a counter argument? They might. I think they could be better. But the win loss record or percentage, as you asked the question, Jeff, might be similar because number one, you'll get the non conference schedule. That might, it's harder than last year in a lot of ways. Excellent segue, um, Eric. <laughs> and and real and I know, Murph, that to me, you brought this up with Coach Dawkins. I know you got to talk to him about, you know, the, the schedule, but also the fact the state of college basketball. Let's not ignore this. There's a lot of issues right now in college basketball with games, whether they get played, they get canceled, and all that. It's it's multiplied by ten compared to football. I know those some of the things you talked about with Dawkins, right? Yeah, so we met with Dawkins earlier today on Tuesday, uh, and you know I talked to him about the Oklahoma game that's coming up this Saturday, uh, and that non-conference schedule that you guys mentioned that we'll get into here in more in a bit. I talked about how hard it is for those freshmen that I just mentioned, you know, with the COVID summer, how hard it's been for them to acclimate into this kind of season. But the the question I really wanted to know from him today, and the answer I really wanted to give him today, was really kind of a, a broad question of, what do you think about the state? of college basketball. Here is what Johnny Dawkins had to say when I asked him that. Coach, very open-ended question, but with the season scheduled to begin for some teams tomorrow, and we currently have about 10% of D1 teams who are on pause due to COVID, some notable teams like Florida and Wichita State are also on pause. What do you think, in, you know, in your, in your private moments, what do you think about the state of this season and the state of college basketball right now? Uh, I mean, I think, I think uncertainty uh, right now. Uh, and, and that's going to be that way this entire season until we, until we can get a vaccine and we can get to some sense of normalcy. I don't expect it to be any other way. Uh, I think people are going to have to be very flexible 
and just play the hand that you're dealt. You know, you know, it is what it is. We, we know what we're up against. And I just need to be ready to, to compete when when that time comes. And you got you have to be ready for some disruptions when some other times come. And that's just how it's going to be. Uh, season's coming fast. Uh, I'm sure like a lot of coaches would like to see it, the season be pushed back a little to give us more time. But uh, that's not what's happening. So, you know, you have to play the hand that you're dealt. And that's what we're going to do. And uh, we're not going to make excuses. You know, Brian, we always talk about it. We're a no-excuse program. This is the hand we dealt. And we're going to play it to the best of our abilities. Coach, what can you say about your two key freshmen, Isaiah and Jamil, their early progress within the program? And with, with the summer being so awkward, not being able to round each other, how much do you worry about maybe that stunting their growth? Uh, definitely. You know, I've really enjoyed coaching both of them. They have, they have, both of those guys have enormous potential. And so we're excited every day we see them in the gym. And they're growing. They're getting better. Things are moving fast for them now because they're freshmen. And there's a lot to learn, especially without having, as you, as you mentioned, a spring and a summer. But, uh, but I love who I think they're going to become as players in our program. They're going to be terrific. Uh, they did get hurt by not being with us this spring and summer, of course, just from a strength and, you know, con, you know agility and strength programming. Uh, they didn't get any of that. They didn't get any, you know, of the, of the basketball skill work that we would do with them in the off season. They didn't get any of that, which would have gave them a little bit of a head start entering now. And so uh, it's been difficult with regards to that because you can just see where they would have been if you could have had those six months back. But you know what? Again, you, we're not going to get those that time back. Uh, I've tried to, you know, teach our guys, you have to take a next play mentality. This is what's up next for us. You know, let's look forward to what's in front of us instead of behind and let's keep moving forward, you know, positively. And that's that's kind of the approach we've taken. But uh, they definitely could have used that time. It would have helped them. And uh, I can't imagine what they would have been if they had six more months. But I'm sure every program's facing the same thing. Coach, can you talk a little bit about your non-conference schedule? It's obviously loaded with four big high-profile uh, opponents. You know, what went into to scheduling those, that quartet of teams and what do you – what do you think that says about your team that you're willing to schedule those kind of games? Well, you know, I've always scheduled, you know, up as much as we could. And, and we have an opportunity this year to do the same and, and we'll do it. You know, I want our guys to always play against the best teams. And, and so we have this opportunity uh, with COVID and everything that's going on. Uh, and, and there's a lot of uncertainty with our team. We, you know, we don't know our personnel fully. There, there are a lot of, you know, guys aren't proven as of yet, but, I think the best way to prepare for our conference, which is a great conference, is to play this caliber team every night. And so playing the likes of Oklahoma, playing the likes of Auburn, Michigan, Florida State, I think really just helps us as we start to go into conference play, understand the type of competition we're going to face on a nightly basis. So uh, we're looking forward to it. I know our players are excited about it. It's a great way to start the season, and uh, I think it'll help us in the long run. Coach, in this kind of season where chemistry is a really kind of a, a, a big issue because you guys haven't had the chance to build a lot of it during the summer, this first challenge is Oklahoma that returns 70% of their scoring, a lot of seniors on this team. What's that challenge going to be like against a team that probably has a lot of already built-in chemistry? Uh, well, of course, first of all, they're a very good team. You know, Lon Kruger does a great job, and uh, so I know they'll be well-prepared. And, uh, yes, but that experience, that does add a lot to, to who they are. And for us, you know, we just need to go out there and, and play within ourselves, you know, you know, follow along with the, with, the, with the system and the game plan that we have established. And that's how we're going to approach it. You know, uh, you know, we know we have a lot of respect for their program and we know we have to come out and play a really good basketball game. And uh, we need to do that for 40 minutes. There's Johnny Dawkins visiting, you know, guys, I know, they, they know it's difficult, but the season's not waiting. 
The season's on the horizon, uh, and there's no excuses. The, the, their next game is Saturday, and Eric, you and I have broken this down on the site uh, last weekend when the schedules came out. The first six games of the season <laughs> is where we're going to know how good this team is. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's unbelievable. No cupcakes in the in the early part of the slate. <laughs> it is, in my opinion, it's the toughest schedule in the history of this program. It's one of the greatest schedules in the program. It's however you want to phrase it, but it's amazing. Like I just, I'm staring at it right now, and we talked about it. It's on our YouTube page. We encourage you to check that out um, in depth. But you got Oklahoma who you heard Coach Dawkins talk yep. about. They could be an NCAA tournament team. Now, Auburn will not be. They have self-imposed uh, sanctions, so they will not be eligible for the NCAA tournament. They're a young team, but it's Bruce Pearl. It's Auburn uh, deal. And then Florida State, I think they're an ACC title contender. you got, you know, oh, you know, in that deal, Michigan, and before that at Michigan. And, oh, by the way, in between, the league decided, hey – we don't think that's a tough enough stretch. Let's throw Houston in between. At Houston. <laughs> yeah. So you got you got Florida State. Excuse me. You got Michigan, Houston, Florida State, all back, back to back to back on the road. Those are three top 25 teams, guys. Three top 25 teams that you can make an honest uh, argument that all three of them are conference title contenders in their respective leagues. That is you know, there's an old saying in soccer with the the, the World Cup and the group of death because it meant that all four teams were really good and they were going to beat each other. That is a group of death type of schedule, man. That is unbelievable. And so that's why I'm a little more hesitant about the win-loss record because I could see this team going maybe 13-11 and 11, but be a better team because they played a tough slate, 24 games, and have a pretty good net if they can get some of these wins. That, I mean, Jeffrey... You and I have covered this program for a long time. You, I dare you to find me a better non-conference schedule this program has ever had. And I tweeted this out. I would argue that the Oklahoma home opener is the biggest home opener in program history. Obviously, unfortunately, this is not going to be packed house. But when you consider the, the opponent, Oklahoma, Lon Kruger, and the, it, it, the great career he's had in college basketball, especially in the state of Florida, mm -hmm. when he was the head coach at Florida, leading him to the Final Four with a, an assistant, uh, I believe his assistant at the time where, during that era was a guy named Kirk Sparrow, which we all know. Um, and then, oh, by the way, you got maybe one of the most anticipated debuts in the history of this program in C.J. Walker. I mean, hello. Yeah. I mean, a tremendous game on Saturday, 2 p.m. tip. And by the way, that's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, the first two games at UCF are going to be on ESPN+, Plus because they play Auburn 7 o'clock on Monday. Um, yeah, just certainly, the, the I, I think it's the most anticipated home opener we've seen uh, in a very, very long time uh, when you factor in those things. But, you know... It, it's kind of like, yeah, it's probably since the since the building literally opened yeah. when they opened against Nevada in 07. And, and Mark it's, Fox, who you covered. Mark yeah. Fox, the former Georgia coach, was the coach at Nevada at the time. Right. And, and it's tough to say, I think it's really tough to say, well, this, this is the best schedule because like it's kind of like, well, of course it is because the schedule's truncated, first of all, right? I mean, you, there's no, you know, early season game against Bethune Cookman or, uh, you know, or, or Florida Atlantic here. Like, you're diving in with. Big 12, SEC, Big 10, huge road conference game in December, and then ACC before you before you jump back into conference, right? So, um, so he didn't it, duck anybody. No, no, at, no, they didn't. I mean, but you know, credit. also these teams are also you know they're they're coming through the state, and you know, like for example, is it is it Auburn that's playing that that tournament down in Fort Myers? 
Yes. Yeah. yeah so that so they're 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 coming on through, and um, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's certainly I, I do. You're absolutely right though that like we're gonna know by Christmas what we're gonna be looking at here because that last game, especially that last stretch where you go Tuesday December fifteenth at Houston, the following Saturday December nineteenth in Tallahassee at Florida State, and then the following Tuesday at home against Cincinnati. Those three games in the span of seven days are going to be monstrous. And it's a good thing that UCF has nine days between the Michigan and Houston game, which is the Houston game is the first of that triad to rest up because that's going to be a a really brutal stretch. But we're going to find out real quick what kind of team we have by Christmas. The good news is, and Murph, you brought this up when we kind of reacted to the schedule when it came out on Friday on the YouTube video. You like the back end of the schedule for them. If they can kind of tread water here through this early beginning, you like them in the back end here. Yeah, because you've got, you know, like they end the season with this five-game stretch, just to pull a a, a little part out. They end with home home South Florida, at Tulane, at SMU, Temple, at ECU. Now, again... SMU can score really well. South Florida should be much better this year because they were besieged by injuries last year. Uh, Tulane is definitely not easy, but that is that is a that is not you know they're not backloading Memphis, yeah. Houston, Cincinnati into that part of the schedule. So if if again if they can stay above water there early, they have a chance to pick up wins there late. And you know, kind of going back to my point about being better, you know, this team was seven and eleven last year in conference, and now they'll have twenty conference games this year. And I would, I would expect, I would expect a 500 record at worst. I really would expect a 10 and 10. Yeah, I mean, it, not, not simply, not on, not so much based on the shortcomings of, of UCF, but just based on how tough the sch- how tough the conference is overall. You know, they, and, and I want to talk about the conference, you know, in general too, because you know, Houston was picked number one, um, which is no surprise. But uh, Memphis got a couple first place votes, followed by SMU, Cincinnati, USF. Uh, rounding out the top five. UCF was picked eighth. Um, and Caleb Mills for Houston was the preseason player of the year. Uh, but, you know, I mean, this this uh, this could be a very good year for the American, I think, this year. Even with, you know, the, the, the smaller tournament, which is what we're expecting when we get to it in March. Um, this is going to be, I, I do think that this is going to be, once again, a very tough road in the American Athletic Conference. Right, Brian? Well, let's hope we get there to March. Yes, and I do well, agree. I think you could have, you could certainly. This is this is a you know a league where four or five teams, six teams possibly, um, are gonna you know pot, you know try to vie to get one of those spots in the tournament. I, I think this team this this league is good enough and deep enough. What do you think, Eric? I, I think I think you both hit it dead on. But I think this team could be better than what is it eighth? There was the preseason pick uh, in the yeah. league. I think they could move up. What, what, what's the ceiling here, Murph? What are we thinking here? Are we thinking what's the what's the best case scenario uh, deal? Where are we thinking over under six place? Like, is that a fair number to put it as an over under where they could finish in the league and maybe best case you're scenario? Say, you're saying six and a half, Eric? Let's do that. If you want to go six and a half, is the over under for the where they finish in the in the league standings? What where would you, where would you go? Yeah, I would go over that, meaning they would have a better rank i would go six or better um yeah, yeah. i have no problem with that they're definitely they're definitely part of that group i i would actually more be teased to go five and a half i, I think they can be five mm. or better okay i, I kind of agree 
one of the because one of the interesting storylines this season is going to be Wichita State and, and the mess that they're in. Greg Marshall is no longer the head coach. Right there, uh, he was just uh, I don't know how how what's the proper phrase? He just, they, they mutually parted ways. He was I guess? he was asked to leave. <laughs> he resigned with a parachute. So and Murph, we've been fo- you've been following we've been following this story since really the end of last season, where a bunch of players decided to leave the program we're like whoa that's a little weird well now we know why <laughs> yeah why they left the jumping ship so that that's got a mess written all over it they have an interim head coach they flew to sioux falls south dakota and ended up testing positive so they're not even in that tournament anymore i think it could be yeah. a long year for wichita state which could benefit ucf because wichita state has owned ucf since they've been in the league ucf mm-hmm. has never beaten wichita state so i think that helps ucf um, you know, SMU seems to be the flavor of the league, right? I feel like everybody's on the SMU bandwagon, Murph, because they returned a lot of guys and they could score points. I still want to see if SMU can win on the road. Uh, you know, maybe they can. I think Houston's the, le- the team to beat without question, uh, which is why I'm not real thrilled that they put them right off in the middle of Michigan and Florida State. Yeah. Good <laughs> Lord. Good Lord. Look, guys, I don't know. Whoever's creating the schedule in the American – it was the football guys that were claiming the title and going after <laughs> you, you. Not the you got you got to you got to put them in there somewhere. I mean, it's <laughs> but do we have to put them in between Michigan and Florida State? Like, I don't think there's anybody in the country that has a rougher three game stretch on the road. True road games. I'm not talking neutral games and, and all that. Tougher three game stretch in the country than at Michigan, uh, at Houston, and at Florida State. Yo. Come on, man. Are you serious? That's unbelievable. So, I think Houston's a team. Memphis, Murph, Penny Hardaway, kind of under the radar this year compared to last year with all the hoopla. What? I, that's the one that I'm kind of curious. Yeah. How does Memphis Pre- do here with Pre- Penny after the hoopla with Wiseman and that short era? And then, you know, Achua now, a draft pick of the Miami Heat. What, what do we No, Not a lot Who Eric talk is about very Memphis. excited about, by the way. I am excited about Achua. <laughs> Especially since he's not in the league, so it's a two-way <laughs> thing. He's with the Heat, and he's no longer in the league. That's what right. That he's mean? not in the American. <laughs> Eric's yeah. happy about it. What about it, uh, Brian? Well, now you've got the next hot prospect for, for Memphis is Musa Cisse, right? The, the top five recruit, you know, another a big, long 6'11 kid, you know, NBA potential written all over him, obviously. But they, they returned some scores, too. Lester Canones is back. Um, so it was not like, you know, because the Wiseman and, uh, and and those guys are gone, like, no, they've got guys returning. And those guys, you know, were, were there's a lot of guys who, you know, are were, were you know, high-end freshmen who just decided to stick around. And now you add CSA to that, there's a reason why they're probably going to finish, I would say, top three in this conference again. Like, they're, they're going to be very, very good again. They got to mm-hmm. learn how to win on the road, though. They struggled on the road last year, and that's why they kind of underachieved. And then you got Cincinnati, Murph, which was like a drama team of last year where you didn't know what to get from them, and they don't have Cumberland anymore. So we still kind of have questions about Cincinnati as well. So I think my point that I'm making here is I I think this is a type of league where you're going to see teams – you're going to beat each other up. And there's opportunities if UCF can kind of get get everybody on the same page, get that chemistry going, that they can move up here, and next thing you know, they're in that top four, top five because – I think some of these teams have some questions they got to answer, and they won't have the lengthy time to answer it like they would in a normal year. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just looking at the schedule. You know, there's a 
there's that piece there in the middle that's going to be kind of difficult where you've got at Wichita State, which I know we talked about how how depleted they are, but still, it's never a fun building to play in. Never a fun travel. That, that trip, that trip, just flat out stinks, man. Getting out there, that's then, such a tough can't trip. Imagine, I can't imagine somebody making that trip from Florida to Wichita, Hummer. <laughs> and then, and then they have at Memphis a few days later. So yeah. at Wichita, wow. and then home against Tulsa, which is just a team that really grinds you down and is really annoying to play. Uh, they're extremely so. That, yeah, they're, they're annoying to play in middle. basketball too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. They are. No, they they very much are. So uh, that three game stretch in the middle is kind of interesting. Could be kind of difficult, but um, yeah, nothing beats. I mean, just talking to people around the program too, like it's like wow, nothing beats that first six game setup. Yeah. Well, and patience, and I'm going to say this now. I'm going to get ahead of this. All right, uh, all you fan base out there. All right, we like you. We appreciate you tuning in. You, you are no, you know, we we love it. Be patient with this team. All right, because that's a six game stretch. They could be playing really well and go two and four. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's they could play really well, really competitive, and go two and four. So let's not make any irrational comments and reactions if this team gets off to a two and four and one and five start. I know that our fan base will not. The last thing they will do is jump to irrational <laughs> conclusions and firing coaches on the fly after losses. I'm and over and overreact. Yeah. All right. Now, leave, the, leave the overreaction to me. I'm the one who has an actual panic Excellent. button in his office. All right. So um, I, I, I don't know. I still like Houston. Um, and they're going to be the mm-hmm. king. They're going to be the king of the hill until someone knocks them off. Although I do like Memphis's chances. I'm looking forward to what Caleb Mills will be doing for them this year. Um, I do think UCF is a little bit underrated. Boy, would it be something if they got into the top five? I think that would be a really big um, that that would be a that would be a really big boon for the team. But also um, a little a name to watch out for: Alexis Yetna's back for USF after that injury that he yep. suffered last year. Murph's guy, that's Murph's yeah. guy. Yeah, he's he's a he's a dangerous dude. His ACL injury in the preseason last year, really the day before the season started last year, right. changed the entire complexion of that USF team, which I think I said was going to finish second in this conference, and then they did not. And then they didn't. Right. Um, but it's, be- it's because starting with Vietnam, who's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So let me ask you this, too. Joe Lenardi, yes, he does have a bracketology out today. He came out today. I know everybody was waiting for it. He's got two teams in from the American. I think that's low. I would go over that number. Am I crazy on that? I think this is. I think this could be a three bid league, three to four. Yeah, I think. I, I think, yeah, I was, I think yeah. Sorry, Murph. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say. I was going to say yeah, but I wouldn't go too far about that because isn't the, the tournament is uh, they're they're uh, they're decree are they decreasing the field like they are in the other sports? No, not yet. Okay. They're at still at 68. What they're going to do is they're going to have it in one site. The belief is it'll be in Indianapolis. Or in one city, um, basically. You know, one not. city. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, because that's always the, that's kind of their back home. And so do they reduce it down the road? Who knows? We'll see where we're at in a few months. Yeah. As Murph mentioned earlier in this podcast, we got to worry about getting through the regular season first. <laughs> yeah. Well, worry about the regular season. Worry about getting through this first weekend with uh, – uh, right. so, with Oklahoma and Auburn, <laughs> right? But I, I think I think Houston and Memphis. If I had to pick, I would have Houston one, Memphis two, uh, mm-hmm. because I actually do like the fact that Memphis is a little under the radar. Sometimes that's better for a team than having all the expectations. So I do agree with you on that. I think it's Houston and Memphis. 
I, I, you know, but I think after that, I mean, SMU, Cincinnati, I think UCF has a shot if things go well, stay healthy. I think they could be in the mix for the NCAA if things break right because you, if they can win, let, let's say hypothetically they go three and three in that six game stretch, that's three quality wins. That's going to help you in the net. Yeah. And if you can go ten and ten in the league, eleven and nine in the league, uh, now you're talking about thirteen, eleven, and fourteen and ten. And, and I don't think this year, with as very few non-conference games as they're going to be played, I don't think win-loss fancy records is going to get is is the end-all, be-all in the NCAA tournaments. I think if you play a good enough schedule and you prove to the committee that you could beat quality teams, you're going to sneak in. So a thirteen and eleven UCF team could sneak in if they get the right wins. Murph, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's yeah. I guess it's already hard to for me to make a like. A, oh, here's the resume case. But just in terms of like chances of or the, you know the odds that more more than two AAC teams make it. Like, yeah, I think Houston and Memphis are basically near locks. Houston's definitely a lock. And then you've got like three or four teams, and Eric mentioned them all with with Cincinnati and and, and UCF and SMU. That I think are real tournament contenders. So. Um, no, I, I, I agree. The question is, is over under two and a half AAC teams in the tournament? I would take the over. Mm, all right. Well, we're going to find out first off on Saturday, 2 p.m. ESPN Plus. Uh, UCF Murph's going to be there. Oklahoma Murph's going to be there. You know who else is going to be there? Our boy Mike O'Donnell, who is, call, who, is do, who is calling both games on opening weekend, the Oklahoma game on Saturday afternoon, and then the Auburn game Monday at 7 p.m., on ESPN Plus, it'll be it'll be the Mike O'Donnell show both times. I forget who he's working with. Have you found out who he's working with this on these games, Eric? I I don't. I'm gonna find I out seen whenever him. I log in. I you know I know he's he hasn't he hasn't promoted it, so I'm not gonna push him. But I'm gonna be tuned in, so I'll find out when I tune in. It's I, gonna be fun. I know we're gonna holler at Mike again uh, after uh, after these first two games and get his uh, get his take on this, and we're hoping to get Taylor Young involved as well because they've both been out. It's a holiday week, so what are you gonna do? But um, but, uh, but, uh, thanks to those two, uh, for, for their insights as always, make sure you follow them and of course, follow us for all the latest UCF basketball news as well. Oklahoma Saturday, 2 PM at addition financial arena on ESPN plus will be the opener. Looking forward to CJ Walker. Once again, that should be fun. All right. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We'll flip it over to the women's side. They're actually starting their season Wednesday against UVA. We'll get a quick preview when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Brian, and Eric with you here as we uh, wrap up. By the way, recording this Tuesday before Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, Wednesday, UCF women's basketball begins. This is the first non-football NCAA UCF event of the year. Wednesday, UCF against Virginia. Uh, and that game will be on ESPN plus 6 p.m. tip the day before Thanksgiving. Let's talk about UCF women's basketball because amid all the excitement about the men's team, this women's team, even with the departure of the great K.K. Wright, um, which I can't I, I can't believe we, K.K. Wright's not even here anymore. It seems like she's just been a fixture for so long. Um, UCF is uh, is expected to be a contender once again in uh, the American. In fact, UCF is picked second in the league behind USF. One first place vote uh, from the coaches went to UCF. And by the way, the coaches, you can't vote for, you can't vote for yourself. Uh, 
So, uh, so it looks like, it, and with UConn gone this year, remember, um, there's a good chance that UCF will have a shot at a conference uh, championship. One preseason all-conference uh, team member, that's uh, Brittany Smith, um, who uh, it, it, it just made leaps and bounds last year uh, for UCF. And when you think about it, um, you know, this team actually still it re- brings back a lot of talent. Janea Walker, Masani Kaba, Cortesia Sanders are your main seniors. Uh, you get a couple players um, with quite who are really in a position to start contributing as veterans. Um, Becca Ripley, who sat out last year uh, with transfer, uh, good outside shooter, came in from Miami. She's going to be available. Brittany Smith is a junior now out of Boone High School. Obviously, we talked about one of the better post players in the American. Destiny Thomas is, is back as well. as And the player that I'm really looking forward to make a big leap this year is Junior Diamond Battles, the guard out of Winter Haven. Uh, who more or less played the other point guard uh, aside from KK and has developed, I think, into a really good defender. And I'm also looking forward to see what we get from Brianna Frazier out of Jersey City, New Jersey, who is a highly touted recruit, along with several other recruits who are going to be here and uh, who we're going to be hearing about as well, including Kiara Brown, a guard out of um, Palm Beach Gardens. But Eric Lopez, this team looks like they they could really surprise some people, and they're not going to do it with the spectacularness of having the amazing KK Wright doing all the doing all the work. Um, not that she did all the work, but she was clearly the straw that stirred the drink last year. Um, what are we expecting from this team? I think it's going to be more a whole is greater than the sum of the parts situation, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a more of a team unit. I don't know if you're going to have one dominant score. I think you might have different leading scores each night. Uh, you know, Coach Abe has been available in the media availabilities a couple times here recently, and I got a chance to ask her about the about that. Like, what is the strength of this team moving forward? And she talked about the low post, which is the strength of this team. There's no doubt. This team will be different offensively. I think the, the belief is that the offense will come from inside, then work itself outside. And so I, I asked her about – being the insights, the low post players, the backcourt. Of course, you mentioned no KK. Who's going to step up in that role? Is it Diamond Battles? Is it Sanders? Or is it a collective unit? Uh, they're going to have to learn that quick, though, because they got, just like the men's, they got a tough non-conference schedule. But that's nothing new to Coach Abe, who has risen the program to a different level. Now the goal is to maintain it and compete for the conference title. Here's Coach Abe talking about this team and the outlook. Post players are phenomenally experienced. I mean, we got everybody back, you know, and and have tons of playing experience in Brittany, obviously, Mossany, Janea, Destiny, um, and then we added a freshman. So our post players are really strong. Where last year was our guard play, right? Well, obviously, Brit- Brittany and Moss were really phenomenal last year, but I think our post players are our strength. So now we got to, you know, work on finding some numbers from our guards. I mean, Diamond Battles can step up and do that. Cortez Saunders can step up and do that. And then we're looking for, you know, who's going to be the next one up that can, uh, you know, step up and put some points up at the guard spot. So I think this year is going to be, you know, a lot of our points are going to be coming from our post. Um, and then as we get going, you know, I think they, our guards will kind of fill in and step in. And because I think that, you know, in practice, we've been working on Brittany getting doubled, Moss getting doubled and, how we're going to handle those kind of things. Um, and then people just stepping up and being confident shots. So to answer your question, I think our strength is our post play this year. 
since you've been here every year, I feel like we always we always ask you, but man, how are you going to replace so and so in the backcourt? And then someone else steps up that you know must in the public don't get to see, and we're like surprised. You look at this year, obviously with KK graduating. What do you expect from your backcourt in particular, Diamond Battles and Sanders, and even a uh, Anna Bernie, who I know got a little run last year. Yeah, I mean, I think they, I think they know that. I mean, I think um, we've been training for that since KK has been gone, um, and they're all super talented. Um, obviously, our strength is going to be in our post, but since day one, since we've been working, we've all been working really hard as individually as position coaches to really get their confidence up and get them to take their game shots. They're not going to be KK, and they don't have to be KK. You know, so what Diamond is really good at, she needs to do. What Tay's really good at, she needs to do. What Anna's really good at, she needs to do. I mean, so that's kind of Rebecca Ripley's now playing. So what Rebecca needs to do is really good at, those are the things she needs to do. So it's going to be a different look for the team, um, but they all need to step up and, you know, take some big shots and take shots by committing. It's not just going to be one guard doing all the work. Coach, I feel like you and Coach Dawkins are like in direct competition with each other as far as how to top each other in scheduling. I mean, you both have tough non-conference schedule. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the non-conference schedule and how you navigate it through all the climate that we're in. You're going to host Virginia comes here. Florida Gulf Coast comes here. They're an NCAA tournament team. You go to LSU and Georgia Tech. Yeah, uh, you know, this the COVID situation really changed uh, the the scheduling. But to be honest, we had everybody on our schedule besides Georgia Tech. So we had Virginia already. We just moved the date. We already had Florida Gulf Coast. We had played them the year before. Uh, LSU is the uh, American um, uh, SEC challenge. So we already had them. And then we added Georgia Tech. And we had, and obviously some schools had to drop. And now we're putting some school, uh, our league games in December. So we really had those three already scheduled. Um, and, and the purpose for that is, for the RPI net, you know, to, to keep our league strong. Um, we really want to challenge ourselves. We're just jumping into a big game right away because we missed a lot of the preseason games that we had to drop before. So I think that's, I think that's somebody asked me about nerves and how we're going to do that's, that's the unknown right now. Cause you know, we're, we, nobody in the country's had a lot of opportunity to, to play games before this. So you know, I think a big difference is going to be we're going to play um, four, three or four. I can't remember three or four um, conference games in December because we're now we've gone to 20 games in the league. So that's going to be a little different for us, too. Uh, I wondered about your thoughts, the league going to 20 games, of course, no UConn, but also the conference tournament going to Texas. Your thoughts on some of the tweaks there as far as the league's concerned? Well, the league, the league, we tweaked that uh, for this year and this year only just because we were so concerned about games. Um, you know, it's really hard to get games right now. We didn't know what we weren't. We were the, the league and the head coaches. We've had many, 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 many conversations about what to do. And we we just talked about that. Like this year, we're going to have to because we can control our conference and our schedule. And, you know, if we miss a game, we can reschedule. But out of conference, if you lose a game, you're probably not going to be able to reschedule that. So. You know, we talked about that a lot and that we're going to um, play 20 this year and go back to 16, you know, uh, after this year, hopefully, you know, hopefully this COVID is going to go away. So we just want really, we just really wanted our players to have an opportunity to play and have as many games possible to play this year. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, the tournament in Texas, I think it's going to be fun having it 
Uh, it's going to be a lot of excitement and things going on with the men's teams there too. So we'll be able to watch our men's team and see. A, it's going to be like a festival of basketball. I think it's going to be really fun there. And that was Coach Abe talking about the non-conference schedule and then the 20-game slate, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. 20 games. And you mentioned it. No UConn. So this is going to be fascinating now. How does the league rest- – I think there's a little extra urgency here because there is no UConn. The title is up for grabs here. And it's – you know, the belief is I think it's UCF and USF. We have both have covered both programs. They're very opposite, and which what kind of makes it fun and fascinating because you got Jose Fernandez who believes in the three-point shooting and the up-tempo. You got Abe. Abe, they asked Abe about who are some of your three-point shooters. And she had this look like, ugh. Three-point shooting. I don't believe you mentioned it. outside shooting to Coach Abe, and she right. <laughs> she, so, well, she gets the great one-liner about well, there's a lot of them that could take them, but who could actually make them? <laughs> you know, she hates. I love Coach Abe that for that. Make them. Um, so I think that's going to be a question because KK obviously was one of the better three-point shooters. Siani Martin was a great three-point shooter. They don't have her, right? Right. Uh, and Gail as well. So that is a question mark about this offense. But she doesn't, you know, she believes in quality possessions and quality shots. And I think it's her point. But you look at the schedule and she, the way she broke it down. At LSU, that's an NCAA tournament team. Georgia Tech was in a bubble last year. They would have been, a, could have been an NCAA tournament team. Florida Gulf Coast, speaking of three-point shooting, mm-hmm. they are an NCAA perennial. They've dominated the A-Sun with their perimeter shooting. And then Virginia, Tina Thompson is the head coach. They're kind of trying to get back to what Virginia basketball used to be. So that's a tough slate. She broke it down. And then the league games, I think, are going to be fascinating because Tulane, I think a lot of people think Tulane could be the sleeper there. Cincinnati, I know you like. The big question with Cincinnati is going to be they lose a lot of players around Thomas. They're kind of like UCF in that opposite, in that they return their best player, but they lose everything around there, whereas UCF loses their best player but returns a pretty good nucleus. So a lot of intrigue in the league, but for them, I think she's curious to see how this group handles things, especially with the lack of games because of COVID. They usually get some scrimmages in that they haven't been able to do. So I think those are those questions, and I think you brought up a good one. The backcourt, I think, is going to be fascinating. You know, does do you, you know does battles take the next level? Is it a Cortagius Sanders or is it a son of as somebody like a Bernie Burry, who's a good shooter, three point shooter, or Ripley? I think those are two shooters to mm-hmm. keep in mind. I'm fascinated to see how the backcourt, the way she described it there, it could be by committee here, Jeffrey, to use a term that we see hear a lot in like baseball and football. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot. The, the guards are going to be relied upon very much for ball handling and defense in that case. And it's just yeah. going to be a steady diet of two post players at any one time because you've got the leading returning scorer is Brittany Smith, uh, who last year was uh, was the only player not named K.K. Wright who averaged double figures. She averaged 10.5 a game uh, plus five and, uh, 5.3 rebounds. Um, Masani Kaba uh, also comes back. She's the second uh, highest returning uh, score, 8.4. 6.7. Um, you know, we mentioned Georgia Gale, uh, who was a very good outside shooter, led the team in threes, but she's gone. Um, and so, you know, who does pick up the outside shooting? Um, you know, we're not 100% sure yet, but, uh, I, you know, Diamond Battles, I don't, you know, you, you know, KK, like you said, was a three-point threat. You know, she was 32%, which is not the best, but she still made 36 of them, uh, which was uh, second best on the team. Diamond didn't uh, only attempted four three pointers all of last year. Didn't make any of them. But um, right. her defensive statistics, I think, is what is where she really uh, came up big. Thirty nine steals last year. 
Um, it was just a real steady presence as that second point guard. She was second on the team in assists behind KK. So I'm looking for Diamond to really um, make the leap here. And some of those other, you know, lesser known front court players you're playing sort of that three, that, you know, that sort of two or three in coach's offense, like Janaea Walker, Cortesia Sanders, they're going to expect some uh, contributions uh, out of them as well. But it's pretty much going to be, you know, talking about the post players, it's going to be a three-headed monster this year with Destiny Thomas, Masni Kaba, and Brittany Smith. They're going to dominate the boards, right? You think they dominate the paint. And I think you make a great point. If Sanders and Battles put ball pressure on the ball, that's going to create the defensive intent. Because this team, at the end of the day, their identity is defense. So force turnovers, get easy baskets, that's their game. And it starts with ball pressure from the backcourt players and then the size inside to intimidate in the paint. And I think that's going to be key for them on the defensive side of the ball. I think the shooting perimeter, the two names I would keep an eye on is Anna Bernie, mm-hmm. the young sophomore. I have heard that she's a really good shooter. And then Ripley. I heard that those two can really shoot the ball. So I think those are two names that didn't play a lot because obviously the depth, uh, they get their opportunities this year. But let's be real. This is this team's going to go through inside. And I think the great combo of Brittany Smith and Kaba dominant scores i think those are gonna be your two leading scores don't you i think that yeah in, if abe had it in the best cases dominate the boards score inside high percentage shots and defend and and i think that's going to be the recipe for this season led by Kaba, and of course you know you know that that's britney smith who's got a lot of attention but Kaba is the senior and i talked to her in media availability about what she's worked on in her game and how she and britney complement each other just tell me what have you been working on on your game this offseason and just tell me about now that you're excited that the season's about to start. Um, yeah, so I'm very excited. The season's about to start, you know, season opener tomorrow. You know, I've just been working on, you know, expanding my game a little more, hitting some more high post shots, mid-range, um, you know, looking for Brittany Smith on a lot of high-low passes, working on my assists. So, yeah. How do you complement uh, Brittany Smith and you two playing together? Coach Abe has talked about the scoring is going to come from inside and, and you two in particular. Just describe how you two complement each other. Um, so, you know, we've been working with each other a lot, you know, learning how to pass to each other in high-low situations. Um, so I think that's really going to be great. Uh, you know, Brittany's a great scorer on low block. And since I'm expanding my game now, you know, they're either going to have to guard me or they're going to have to guard her. So just having us two working in there will be great. There you go. There is Masani Kaba. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be fascinating to see those two complement each other, play inside. Uh, the big question, though, I think, Jeffrey, we're going to have as these games get going, who's going to be it, – it's easy to say, right, that every team, oh, we'll have balanced scoring and it could be somebody each night. That's easy to say. But yeah. who's going to be the player that takes over a game? Is there a player on this roster that could take over a game in the last few minutes like, like KK did? Because to me, that is why, and you know, I did the UCF series this year, the top 80 female athletes of all time, and I had KK's the greatest women's basketball player ranked. And the reason I did was how many games, you think about how many games she took over in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. uh, especially the South Florida rivalry, where she dominated the fourth quarter against South Florida and really flipped that rivalry. Uh, one of the great closures that, that program has ever, the program's ever had. That that to me is my biggest concern about this year's team is you're going to be in some tight battles. Who's going to be the player that says, you know what? I, I got this. I can take the shot. You know, you need a couple players to do that. What you don't want is a bunch of players looking at each other saying, well, are you taking over? Are you taking over? That's right. my biggest question and concern, Jeffrey. Yeah. I, especially if, you know, if you're playing a bigger team that just 
clogs up the middle on you, right? And you can't keep going back to that bread and butter of uh, whoever uh, of whoever the hot player is inside. If if Smith and uh, and and Kaba and or Thomas are 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 not going to are not going to provide you that late scoring, then someone in the backcourt is going to have to you know create a shot down the stretch. So who's so like we like you were saying, who is that going to be? KK, that's the thing that she was so exceptional at. Well, I mean, among many things, right? But she was so exceptional at creating her own shot. And you know, I don't know if there's anyone on this roster right now that can do that. Of course, Coach Abe would know, but she's not going to let anybody know about it. But um, that's why I think Maybe somebody she does it. Maybe she does. Well, I mean, well, like I was some, thinking like that. You know? Well, yeah, but I was thinking that's where some of these younger players, I think, can probably, uh, you know, create uh, create some opportunities for themselves. Like, you know, we mentioned. Sure. I know you mentioned the outside shooting of Anna Bernie and um, and and Becca possibly Ripley. Becca Ripley too. But um, what does you know what does Brianna Fraser bring to the table? Right. I mean, we we you know I've seen the highlights of her from from Jersey City because you know I'm a Jersey boy too, um, and. Boy, she can play, but uh, it, you know, is, is she the one who's going to be, you know, a, a redshirt freshman? Is she going to be relied upon to, you know, take over late in games? I, I don't know. It's it's going to be someone's going to have to step step up in those, you know, in those key moments. Um, you know, obviously it was KK, um, and and you know, before her, there were a couple of contributors that had the opportunity to do that. So, but. Um, yeah, it's just that that's the part that's going to be really interesting to watch with this team. And that could be the difference between winning the conference championship and finishing second or third. Yeah. I mean, little things like that. And that's going to be interesting to see as this league plays. Mm-hmm. I'm very fascinated, Jeffrey, to see how the league now does post UConn. Because UConn obviously brought was very the, the one thing that UConn was good for in the American was the women's basketball. Uh, and now they're gone. So, who steps up? Does Candace League be a multiple bid league in women's basketball, or are they going to be a one bid league? And I don't. And I think it's got the the potential to be a multi bid league. Okay, I think South Florida could be a tournament team. UCF, I think. And, and here's the thing about Coach Abe and talking to people: next year is the t- the year to watch out. Mm-hmm. They got some great recruits coming in. They had a a highly recruit just signed. It's going to be a part of next year's team. It's probably alongside KK, the highest recruit they've had. Certainly the highest recruit Abe has had. Remember, KK was not an Abe recruit. Right. She was brought in by uh, yeah. by Coach Williams from uh, from right. Jones High School. And the the um, players you're talking about, the two key players that they're that they just announced uh, the signings are Layla Jewett and Rachel Harjo, yeah. who um, you know uh, Layla Jewett from Bishop Ireton High School, in Woodbridge, Virginia. Uh, four-star recruit, 84th in the top 100, and the big, fifth best player in the big. state of Virginia. She's that's tremendous. Uh, Huge. I mean, yeah. they, I, since that came out, nothing but like people are like, it's like there's like, I, I mean, I'm kind of joking here, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if deep there's like a clock inside. Like, all right, how long before she could be on the court? Right. Like, you know, yeah. show up. Uh, they're really excited about next year's group with this class coming in. So the future is bright with this program. What Coach Abe has done. But but and you know but this year the question with this year is is this team good enough to get back to the tournament uh, you know and I think we'll learn a lot with this non-conference schedule I know it sounds like a broken record what we just said with the men's but how they do there could play a role and I think I'm going to say the same thing I said earlier about Coach Thaw please fans don't freak out 
if this women's team gets off to a bit of a slow start. Yeah. Because, again, tough schedule because we haven't even mentioned they open with Tulane in conference play at home early. That's not easy. Tulane has given UCF fits. That is not a good matchup. Yeah, and they're proje- and they're projected to be third in the conference this year too. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people, lot of people like, like Tulane as a sleeper. So I think that's a tough game. And look at the non-conference. They have to go to Tulsa, okay, and then have a quick turnaround and go to Georgia Tech. That is yeah. a rough two two days, two days later. They're traveling from Tulsa yeah. to basically they're traveling from Tulsa to Atlanta and then back home. Yes. Right before so Christmas. I, I Don't be shocked if this team is kind of hovering at 500 and they're still learning about each other because it's a bit of a transition. And remember, the lack of being together because of what's been going on with COVID, I think you might see some sluggish basketball early on. So mm-hmm. I think there's some questions, but I think this team will get better as the year goes on, as they figure some things out, hopefully. Um, and hopefully this league can be a multi-bid league and probably in the Sunshine State. It's not an accident, Jeffrey, that the league has set up UCF and USF to close the regular season in Tampa. I think everybody right. believes that could be for the regular season title. I look for UCF, by the way. I'll give you this prediction. I think they will be on national television, on ESPN, family of networks, on ESPN2, ESPN or ESPNU the most. This will be the most times they'd be on in program history. Because I think that uh, I think they're going to be on a bunch of times, especially on those Sundays that ESPN likes to put women's basketball opposite football. I mm-hmm. think you're going to see UCF, especially that Super Bowl Sunday. Me and Murph talked about this when we did our video uh, preview. That we recapped the schedule. South Florida comes to UCF on Super Bowl Sunday, February seventh. Yeah, yep. on the Super Bowl Sunday. That's going to be on. I guarantee you, that's going to be on one of the ESPN channels. I think they played once before in a Super Bowl Sunday the last couple of years too, haven't they? Uh, that could be true. Quite possibly, uh, I know. It, around that time frame, at right. least. Because I remember, not. I remember watching a game and then and then turning on football like right after that. Like it got it got me through that last couple of hours to, the, to until the Super Bowl. But uh, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to that Tuesday, March second game. That that last game of the season at Tampa. And you're right. If things go well for this team, that really could be a. Uh, that could be a serious showdown between these two. And, of course, the American Athletic Conference Championship right after that. Remember this year, the women and the men, they cross over. The women's championship is on Thursday, March 11th. That's the same day as the first round of the men's championship. All right? So there, it's going to be a quick it's going to be a quick turnaround for a, a great week of basketball, Murph, uh, out in Fort Worth for you there. That's going to be a lot of fun. I And there... I'm there for the all the basketball. I want all the basketball. Give me all the basketball. I, I, I think it's fantastic. It's it's a shame that they don't do what Conference USA does, where they where they played at the at the Texas Star in Frisco, and they have two courts going at the same time. That's awesome. That would be that'd be great. That would be that'd, so yeah, sick. That would be like the NBA league. You know, the NBA know. this past year with Disney. That'd be great. God, that would be. By cool. the way. Murph, though, Murph's going to get a lot of ba- – you, you and Murph could get a lot of basketball in. Jeff, you, I, the ske- you look at the schedules for both the men and the women. Mm-hmm. A lot of double headers on yeah. the same day. December 30th, UCF men and, w- and women both have home games. January 17th, January 27th, February 10th, February 27th, uh, February 14th. Home and away games. They're doing double headers like Valentine's Day. The men and the women are at Cincinnati – 
uh, Wichita, I think January 30th, they're both at Wichita, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I've kind of scanned through it. A lot of doubleheaders, Jeffrey. I was trying to remember. It kind of reminded me of the A-Sun. Didn't the A-Sun used to do that, too, with some you know, men's they, and women's hoops doubleheaders? They did it more often than it happened in Conference USA, but it still wasn't very often. They, they still kept the game staggered in the A-Sun, where you had, like, I think it was... I think you would have like uh, the men would play Thursday and Saturday and then the women would play mostly Friday and Sunday um, and Sunday would be like an afternoon game. But um, but they did have a couple a couple of times they had some doubleheaders here and there. And then do I remember like what it? do you like? the doubleheaders? I do. I, I you know, but you got to be careful with TV. You got to give them enough um, room. I remember there was uh, there was one occasion, I think, when we were in non-conference play. Uh, when we were still in Conference USA, that they had a back-to-back at home. And then I think the women's game beforehand went to overtime, and that delayed the start of the men's game. Now, it was great for the women because the crowd was filtering in for the men's game, and it's a shame they weren't there for the women's game too, but the, uh, but the crowd was filtering in for the for the end of the women's game, and the atmosphere was pretty tight in there. But then it also del- you know from a tv production perspective it also delayed the start of the men's game and i'm pretty sure the tv producers weren't too weren't too pleased with that but um yeah you know, I, I mean i personally like it because i love having just basketball palooza as much as humanly possible um uh-huh. but i i don't think we'll see i think you'll see a situation where if they're playing back to back on the same day at home right you'll see like a 2 p.m. tip for one, and then a seven p.m. a six or seven p.m. tip for so the other. Do you think it'll be more of a day night doubleheader yeah. instead of like, ooh, I, see, I don't. Yeah, I it won't that, be. It I, won't be like a noon three kind of deal. It'll be more like, like a noon and then a six, or a two a and to, then a seven. Right. That's a lot to ask Murph to stay that long in the building. I mean, I think you got to yeah, help Murph out No, well, that's why we have all those. Listen, that's why we have all those restaurants down there. We go and grab a bite to eat at Burger U and then come back. I I, I am well-versed in taking in 12 hours of Pac-12 well, Pac-10 <laughs> basketball during their conference tournament, so that's fine. And you did so willingly. <laughs> yeah, and I did. And then when UCF, remember when they were, you know, in the, going, the year they went to the tournament two years ago, and then they were one and done at Memphis, I didn't care. I stayed in Memphis the entire weekend. It was great. Had a good time. Watched a lot of hoops. <laughs> I sure did. So enjoyed every second. All right. Well, I'm. I'm it, listen. I'm just relieved that you know. I'm hoping that you know we'll get all these games off. Which, by the way, you know, at least to this point, like we said, we're recording this Tuesday night. Hey, the you know UCF football has gotten all of its games off this year um, without any COVID-related issues, at least as far as we know. So, um, which is really. When you think about it, an amazing accomplishment, and we're hoping that they get the USF game off on Friday. Uh, and you know, same goes for basketball, women's basketball against Virginia opener at 6 p.m. ESPN Plus. That's Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, 6 p.m. Eastern time. The men play Saturday, 2 p.m. against Oklahoma, and of course, uh, the war on I four to close out the regular season for UCF football on Friday at 3:30 on ESPN. All right. Let's go ahead and wrap this puppy up. We got a lot still to uh, uh, to uh, get to you for this uh, for this particular week. Previewing everything coming up. We got uh, uh, all of our usual football stuff coming out on Friday. We'll take the day off on Thursday because we have families too, and uh, and then we'll be right back at it Friday and then Saturday with basketball coverage. So um, that should be and football uh, a lot coverage. Of fun. Got football night, coverage night on shift. 
Yep. Night Don't forget night shift game. after the game uh, after yep. that that 3:30 kick. Um, that should be uh, you, know, you guys have done such a great job with that. So make sure you flip onto our YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/BlackAndGoldBanneret. YouTube.com/slash/BlackAndGoldBanneret. Make sure you spell out the and. By the way, that's how that works. But uh, um, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you know what, Eric? Not a lot of uh, sports equinox in the fall this year, and I think it's kind of nice, but. <laughs> the equinox happens right over Thanksgiving. It's going to change in the spring. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's going to be big, but it's going to be fun. Hopefully we get these in. And like I said, night, night shift, 10 minutes after the conclusion of football on Friday and basketball, we'll do one on basketball. It's going to be great. Murph will be joining us from Tampa on Friday and then from out, you know, from the arena somewhere on Saturday. It's going to be great. And Andrew Glukoff, of course. Yes, it'll be fun. So uh, be sure to be on the lookout for that and follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore banner for all the latest updates on that, as well as our Facebook page, facebook.com slash black and gold banner. And of course, don't forget black and gold All your latest UCF news right there on the mothership, part of the SB Nation network covering UCF sports. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Hey, you guys be safe and have a happy Thanksgiving. All right. Wait, 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 what? We are forgetting something here. What are we, we forgetting now? During the break, Jake Hescock is coming back to UCF football. Oh, yes. We yes. almost forgot Jake about as much as. <laughs> Listen, everybody almost forgot Jake this year, and I feel bad about that. But he kind of dropped that on you in the press conference, right? It came out of nowhere. I was actually asking him a question today. By the way, so yes, I was asking Jake Hescock a question today about. His favorite memories uh, being a UCF player because as a senior, you know, the year's winding down. His career's almost over. What's your favorite memories? And he talked about the catching his first collegiate touchdown in the 2018 American Athletic Conference Championship game, the going to the Fiesta Bowl, beating Stanford last year. And then he ends it with, and I hope to uh, create more memories next year. And it's like, oh, it's another one. I was like, oh, Ooh. really? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Uh, so, yes, uh, Jake Hescock, as all players are afforded this year, obviously everyone gets an extra year of eligibility uh, in 2021. This is sort of a free roll, uh, and I've written about this for the site tonight, but Jake Hescock has decided to take advantage of the extra year, and he will come back as a, I don't know, double red what would you call it, a super red shirt senior? It'll be his sixth year in college football. The, he's we need like a, the United- a, a, it needs to be a color, like a maroon shirt. Something like that, he's like taking, dark red, you know. He's taking the he's taking the Michael Kulubiali route, right? Michael yeah. Kulubiali went six years. So what is it with these tight ends staying six years? Like these guys are old men when they play. I mean, Jordan Akins was a baseball player. He played here until he was almost in his thirties. Yeah, but uh, UCF will will definitely take it um, <laughs> because they bring so much experience and in that tight end room uh, where there's four freshmen in there, including uh, including Gabe Davis's younger brother Jordan. Uh, that, that that I you know I, I think he looks forward to mentoring those guys, but also he just admitted like he I think he also knows that his football career does not extend past college. So if someone's going to give him another chance to play you know organized real high level football, he's going to take it and and, so, and get a free education. <laughs> correct. I'm sure I'm sure he's in a master's program somewhere. I don't know, but um, you know. Now we'll we'll have to figure out like you know are there are there others who are coming back? We we obviously saw a lot of seniors walk on senior day against Cincinnati, and that included your you know your expected players like uh, Marlon Williams and and Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson, uh, Trey Nixon, 
and so many others. So you would assume that everyone who walked there, you know, will not be back. But, you know, there were some seniors who didn't walk. Jake was one of them. Uh, I don't believe that Christopher Christopher Deloach walked. I don't think Josh Josh McMullen, the left the out the offensive tackle. I don't think he walked. I'm not saying those guys are coming back, but I thought it was you know I guess now, you know with with Hescock not walking and those other guys not walking either, like maybe there's a reason why. So I, I guess we'll find out. But I you know the upshot here is that yes, we have Jake Hescock back in our lives for another season, his fourth at UCF and sixth in college football. I'll take so the it. lights. The lights did not go out on his career like it did on the stadium on Saturday. Is what you're saying? Uh, yes, that's true. That's true. What happened? Well, the lights came back on by halftime. You know. All right, it's... you two were there. What happened? I don't know. We had a, we had a power failure. I mean, everything. We everything never got good. an answer. We never got an. No, I, I never. I never found out. Did you, Murph? No, it's probably like the the you know probably like the guy the guy from Airplane. He just unplugged it and said kidding, <laughs> and then just plugged it back in. <laughs> Well, it took a little. Uh, it took a little while there because it was getting pretty dark there. I was worried that they might have to pause the game if they, you know, if they didn't get the lights back up and running. Fortunately, they did. But, you know, we didn't lose audio. We didn't lose the video board. We didn't lose any of those other things. Well, it was just the lights. We did lose the video board for about a second because I, I remember a test pattern came up on the jumbotron. So that's usually not what you want. Uh, and all the, <laughs> yeah, and all the LED, <laughs> all the LED screens glitched. The press box lost electricity for a minute. Or not like really for a second, like literally a split second, but like everything went down. Like and, and was hilarious that everything went down on a play where Cincinnati scored a touchdown. Right. That was called, that was called back due to an inadvertent whistle. Right. And, and I would imagine that the inadvertent whistle had something to do with the with the power outage. I would imagine so because the referees could certainly tell. Like it wasn't dark yet, but it was dusk. Yeah. And the referees could tell that all of a sudden, hey. The, 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 it's dark in here, but yeah. yeah, good thing it didn't happen an hour later, or else they definitely would have had to stop the game. And it would have been, yeah, because it would have been impossible to see. It would have been pitch dark in the in the in the stadium. So anyway, yeah, um, funny how that all works. I like that. <laughs> but anyway, tales from UCF football. Sometimes it's it's you know stuff is weird. But we got one more I'm, game. Yeah, one yeah, more I'm game. I'm sticking of weird. to my story. By the way, I'm sticking to my story. I said a night shift. I think it was the Undertaker. His last weekend, <laughs> retiring 30 years, he turned the lights out. I think it was a tribute to The Undertaker, so I think it was very classy. Yeah, well, he never showed up, so how do you like that anyway? Um, he sometimes doesn't, but he really is. Well, Murph uh, was wearing purple. I was beautiful. Great gear by Murph. Great <laughs> I was, it was more maroon, I would say. Right, Murph? I was wearing a purple hat, purple tie. The, the shirt was kind of maroonish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with it. We'll go with it. All right. Yeah, well, you'll well, be yeah, in, you'll be in Tampa. Thanks for thanks for believing me on what clothes I chose to wear, Jeff. Really appreciate your belief. Thank I was you. no, listen. I listen. I was impressed with the cord with the coordination. I really was. I know but it sounds like you don't believe me when I say I wore purple, and you're like, "Yeah, I'll buy." It. I, th- like, yeah, I thought it was I, I thought it was more maroon. You know, I, I mean, even your mask was was well was well tailored to the uh, to the occasion. Look, you got to make the best out of a pandemic. Look, that's like that, that's that's solid. That's like you know when you wear the coordinating socks and everything. I always wanted to be that guy, the coordinating sock guy. But anyway, I do that too. I do that too. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, I don't know why. I wish I did. All right, enough of my complaining. All right, for Eric and Murph, I'm Jeff. Listen, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, of course, women's basketball Wednesday at six. We'll be covering the football. Murphy will be in Tampa, right? 
Yes, of course. Yes, Smurf will be in Tampa. Uh, the rest of us will be uh, watching from home uh, and following things along on social media. Make sure you follow our live thread. Uh, for all of us, on behalf of all of us at Black and Gold Banneret, we wish all of you a very happy, healthy, and safe Thanksgiving holiday. Um, please stay safe. You know, COVID is still raging itself all over the place. Um, please do the right thing. Um, protect your family members. Protect your friends um, as best you can. And I know this Thanksgiving is just going to be weird, but you know something? We'll be talking about it for years and years to come, and it's not going to last forever. So all the best to you and yours this Thanksgiving, and we'll be uh, catching up with you um, again next week right here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.